I'm coming from teaching at Spirit Rock all week. We had a great retreat, about 100 people sitting in retreat. No, it wasn't that many because we had two retreats. We had, a, we had about 65 and there were 35 up in another room on a second retreat. This is called, sometimes we have parallel retreats because there are so many teachers at Spirit Rock, everybody would like to get a little time to do their thing, to do their retreat. And so there it goes again. And so I'm now very relaxed about this. <laughs> and don't worry, don't worry. Let me see if I can play with it, Patrick. And I'm trying again now. That didn't work. Okay, now it works. It just likes to be pushed in. Otherwise it relaxes after a while and stops working. Um, uh, so I've been at Spirit Rock and teaching a retreat that I've taught for a, f a number of years now. It's not my retreat, but I assist, meaning I'm a co-teacher on that retreat. And it's called Aging, Dying, Awakening. And I, I did name the retreat. It was, it's actually my friend Anna Douglas's retreat. And um, uh, she had named it the Elders Retreat. And I didn't like that name. It's not very sexy, you know, Elders. Aging, Dying, Awakening, that's got a little sexiness to it. So, I, and, and it's for people 55 and older. And so some of you can't even come to that retreat. You're not ready yet. But for those of you who are, it's very, and actually it doesn't matter, because even if you're younger than 55, you're going to age. I hope you know that. And even if you're younger than 55, you're going to die. I hope you know that. And even if you're younger than 55, you can awaken. And so it's a, it's a very interesting thread in the retreat. It is an interesting population to be with what we call old people. And we have people ranging from, we, we, a couple people snuck in who were under 55. But, you know, they looked old enough, so it was okay. Uh, but um, but and we had people uh, into their 80s. And it was... Uh, it's just a great retreat. In, in my language, it's a no-bullshit retreat. It's like people are old enough to see they're not going to live forever, and they want to get real about what is this. And when I say this, I'm pointing at each of you. What is this? What is this experience that's sitting here? What is this experience that's listening to me or aware of me? And not just aware of me, aware of yourself and your thoughts and your feelings and your ideas and what I'm saying and the whole show. And so, and, and why is being aware of what's sitting here the doorway to awakening, to what the Buddha discovered? We've got a Buddha statue over there. Let me get the Buddha statue a little closer. Sometimes even the Buddha can feel a little left out to put him in where you put him. Mm -hmm. 
And so the themes of the retreat, even though it's oriented for people 55 and older, are really valid for all of us. And it's very powerful to just focus on the truth of being a human being, that we all age and we're all going to die. And none of it is a mistake. None of it is doing anything wrong. And death can be very sad and really tragic. But, um, but it's totally normal. And so I like to ask people to remember that, that there's nothing that's born that doesn't die, right? Whether it's a human being or a cat or a dog or a flower or a tree. I mean, everything is born and lives for a moment or a while, sometimes a long while. Some trees live for a thousand years, but nothing lasts forever. And that's normal. It's not a mistake. It's part of what is true about all living things. And so, uh, so we had a retreat, totally, in my language, fun, even though also difficult. And how many people have, have never sat a, a residential retreat? Raise your hand if you've never sat a residential retreat. Go ahead, put your hands up high so I can see you. Good. Because, of course, because I want to pitch this to you a little bit. You know, I would like you to come join us sometime. Because uh, it's very powerful to sit a residential retreat. And in my opinion, it'll change your life if you sit a residential retreat. Because you'll, you'll learn something you've never learned before about yourself. And that's really valuable. And it's not what somebody's, it's not what we tell you about yourself. It's something you'll discover in what's sitting right here, what, what's already here, what's part of being a human being, and what we can discover about being a human being. And in, in my language, what's beautiful about being a human being and magical about being a, a human being. And, you know, if, I, if I'm a little more religious about it, I would say, what's sacred about being a human being? And in Buddhism, that's described, and, and from the get-go, it's talked about human life is considered, is called precious human birth. That there's something precious about us being alive. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hi, hi. I can't remember, is your dog deaf? <laughs> no, some dogs, I know, I know a couple dogs who are deaf, uh, but I just talk to them and then they don't respond to me and, and then I feel hurt and I take it personally. And, <laughs> okay, but it's, you, you can okay. tell how okay. gentle you are. Okay, good, good. What's her name? Pardon? What's her name? Gracie. Gracie. Hi, Gracie. With Burns and Allen. Yeah, I remember. I'm old enough. You could have been on the retreat I just taught. You're old enough if you know Burns and Allen. You you are old if I get it. Sixty in two Seventy in two weeks. Yeah, congratulations. Welcome to the club. Yeah, it's an interesting club. We don't let everybody in. Not everybody wants to be Not everybody wants to be there. That may be true. It's pretty interesting to be alive. At at whatever age we're alive, it's pretty interesting to be alive. 
because we won't be alive at some point. That's also true. And so um, I'll just tell you some of the things. I did a talk at the end of the retreat. Now I'll tell you a little bit. Here's one of the things I talked about was the word awake, right? Aging, dying, awakening, the word awake. I looked up the word awake and in the old English, awake means to spring into being. Spring into being. Beautiful understanding of what it means to be awake. To spring into being, for being to burst forth. Or in Buddhist language, you would say a flower, right? Which is what what awakening is about, is a flowering of, of consciousness, of awareness of our hearts and minds so that we can really fulfill the potential for what it is to be a human being. And, uh, and again, especially talking, because the theme was about aging, uh, I looked up a few things about aging that I didn't know so well. And this is from a fellow named John Leland, who was a New York Times reporter, who interviewed, and this was, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago or so that he did this. He interviewed six of the of New York City's oldest old. Oldest old is what he said, but he, and that is people 85 and older. So here's people 85 and older being interviewed by this guy from diverse cultures, backgrounds, and life experiences. And, and John Leland said, these people totally changed my life. And he's talking about interviewing them, totally changed his life. They've given up distractions that make us do stupid things and instead focus on what's important to them. Like, that sounds like pretty commonsensical, like a good thing to do, right? Give up distractions that make us do unskillful things and focus on what's important to any of us, right? I, I believe that's what we all try to do. We focus on our work or our family or our community or what we you know, want to develop or learn. And, and that's a really good thing to do. He's saying these people, 85 and older, have really uh, given up distractions and just focus on what's important to them. To a person, they didn't worry about things that might have happened. They didn't worry about things that might happen. They worry when it does happen. <laughs> right? And then he says, he says they worry when it happens, and even then, they don't really worry. You know, it just happens. They just deal with it. And it is one of the things I've seen in getting older, it becomes simpler. It's like, it doesn't matter, oh, this could happen, that could happen, oh, what if this happens, what if that happens? Or, who knows, what if it happens? If it happens, you deal with it, right? It gets simpler. He says they just deal with it. At whatever age we are, we can choose to adapt to whatever happens. And he said he really learned this from these people that he interviewed. And here's another fact I found out about aging, that the gerontologists, who are, I believe, people who study aging, 
right? Yeah. So the gerontologists talk about the paradox of old age. They say as people's minds and bodies decline, instead of feeling worse about their lives, they feel better. Uh, is that kind of strange? No, it's not. Not if you're older. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> he says people feel better. Memory tests uh, uh, recall positive images better than negative in images. In other words, positive actually, as we age, stick with us longer than the negative. Because most of us, when we're younger, we feel like oh, the negatives stick with us. But at a certain point, that begins to shift. And the MRIs show that brains respond more mildly to stressful images for elder, older people than the brains of younger people. And it's something about the mind, in my opinion, and the mind beginning to relax as we see the whole picture. And one of the nice things about aging is we get a bigger picture. And it's true at whatever age you are. And, you know, when you're 20, you know more than when you were 15. And when you're 30, you know more than 20, and 40 more than 30, and 50 more than 40, and 60 more than 50, and 70 more than 60, and 80 more, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It keeps going. You start to see the whole picture of human life and you've experienced that. And the more that one experiences it, and even with all the ups and downs which human life has, human life is not uh, always easy or anything like that. I don't mean to be Pollyanna about any of it, but even with the ups and downs, at some point we start to see that we're okay no matter what happens. We can get hurt and things can be painful, but there's still something here that I would call consciousness or heart or aliveness that is okay no matter what's happening. And uh, Ajahn Chah, who's my teacher's teacher, one of my teacher's teachers, and really in whose tradition I teach Ajahn Chah, he says, if your mind is happy, then you are happy wherever you go. If your mind is happy, then you are happy wherever you go. When wisdom awakens within you, the mic stops. When wisdom awakens, <laughs> works. When wisdom awakens within you, you will see truth wherever you look. Truth is all there is. And remember, Dharma means truth. So he's, in other words, he's saying, when wisdom awakens within you, you will see the Dharma everywhere. You will see the Dharma of how things arise and pass, how things are caused, things happen because of causes and conditions. And the causes and conditions aren't actually personal to you. They're happening on their own. And so it's like when you learn how to read, he says, then you can read anywhere you go. 
And that's why practicing the Dharma is so valuable, because something starts to happen that frees us from the usual habits, from the usual patterns, from our usual stereotypical behavior, so we can start to relax and be here with the potential of what it is to be a human being, with our good-heartedness, with our kindness, with our intelligence, with our creativity, and with some of the goodness that's sitting in every seat here, and, and even recognizing the goodness. And the piece that we kept emphasizing on the retreat, and of course we emphasize always in Buddhism, and I hope it gets emphasized here at SF Insight, the key component is called letting go, or not clinging or not holding on, or not grasping what is ungraspable. And of course, in my opinion, there's nothing that is really graspable. We actually pretend we can hold on to things. We have a fantasy we can hold on to who we think we are, or who somebody else is, who we think they are, or whatever we have, we think we can hold on to our iPhone forever and do all these work. And I've already learned that's not true. And, uh, and or, or, or whatever it is, the, the form of life, how life is. Like, so I've been teaching here at SFI 28 years or something, and I've watched it go all around and be all different ways. And it's not the same SFI as, as it was five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, it's all different. And even, of course, I'm different. I'm not the same person who started teaching 28 years ago, or I'm not even, really, I'm not even the same person who taught here last week, because nothing stays the same. This is really one of my favorite teachings these days. Nothing is static. And this is really important to look for yourself. Where do you see anything that's static, that stays the same? What, what is it that you think stays the same? Because I'm happy to argue with you about that idea. Because I haven't seen, I don't see anything stay the same. I see we project that things are, we, we imagine things are staying the same, but they're not. And even we ourselves, you're not the person you were yesterday. And it doesn't mean whoever you were is gone and, and some of that's not here. But it's a new day. It's, it's actually a new moment right now. This moment has never been lived before. And that reality is very powerful to come into harmony with the aliveness that's sitting right here. And that's only alive in this moment. One of the, one of the older Buddhist monks Somebody asked him, but he was old, so somebody asked him, well, what did he think about life? How did it go? And he looked, he laughed, he said, it went like this. Right? He, had, he, he was, I don't know, 70 or something, 65. But he said, it, it went like this, because it did. It's gone, right? Everything that happened. It goes like that. I mean, where's your whole life right now? Everything that ever happened. It's not here. You're here. 
consciousness is here. There's an aliveness here. But the whole story of whatever happened, it's, it's, the memory is here, beautiful memory, difficult memories, whatever it is. But it's gone, actually. And so the teaching of letting go or not clinging or coming into harmony with the way things actually are, coming into harmony with the way things are, Right? And so, uh, one of my favorite poems about letting go is from uh, the Zen monk master, Ryokan. He said, today's begging is finished. Today's begging is finished. At the crossroads, I wander by the side of the Buddhist shrine, talking with some children, last year a foolish monk, this year no difference. <laughs> right? I mean, he's so relaxed about the whole thing. He just, he can laugh at himself, which is a really, I believe, is a good thing for all of us to be able to do. Because we all make mistakes and we don't do it perfect or right. Or, and hopefully we're having a little bit of fun in being a human being and being alive. And so I looked up something about the wisdom of aging, because that's what this talk was being called, which I gave it last night at the retreat, the wisdom of aging. And I found the name of a woman. Let's see if anybody knows. Anybody know who Jean-Louise Clement is? Anybody know who that is? I didn't know who it was, but somebody in the retreat knew who it was. And Jean-Louise Clement, who lived from 1875 to 1997. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. She lived a while. She was there, 1875, 1997. And, uh, and uh, she was the oldest documented human being at, at that point. I think this was 1995 when she was uh, 110 that time she was the oldest living human being that they, they knew. And, uh, and this French woman, it said, had all her wits about her when she reached the super centurion age of 110. She had a jaunty smile and Clement charmed the world. <laughs> Charmed the world with her upbeat attitude towards aging and life. She said, I had to wait 110 years to become famous, and I want to enjoy it as long as possible. <laughs> I mean, that's a beautiful spirit, really. Beautiful spirit she had. And, and actually, this one woman who, who knew who this was, because I didn't know who this was, I just... You know, this was going online to uh, Buddha Google. And, uh, and, uh, and this woman came up and told me about her and that she knew about her because she, this woman had lived in France for a number of years. And she said she's old enough so when she was, excuse me, when she was younger, she used to sell art supplies she sold art supplies to Van Gogh. <laughs> like, that's pretty wild. Like, I didn't know anybody who knew Van Gogh. <laughs> right? 
And, you know, and so, so it also points to something. You never know who you're relating to the next time you sell art supplies. It could be the next thing, whether you're selling art supplies or food or, you know, tires for their car, whatever it might be. Meaning, in any moment, we don't know who we're relating to. And why not treat them kindly and caringly and with, with your heart and enjoy serving them in whatever way you might be helping them. So the Buddha said, he said, whatever is not yours, let go of it. Your letting go of it will be for your long-term happiness and well-being. And then here's, this is from the Majjhima Nikaya, this is being talked about, meaning um, uh, the Buddha is saying to his followers, how do you construe this, how do you understand this? practitioners, monks and nuns. If a person were to gather or burn or do as he or she likes with the grasses, twigs, branches and leaves here in Jetta's grove, would the thought occur to you, it's us this person is gathering, burning or doing with as he or she likes? No, you're venerable. And the Buddha says, why is that? And, um, and they say, because those things are not ourself and do not pertain to ourself, right? The grasses, trees, branches, that's not me. And so the Buddha says, even so, bhikkhus, monks, nuns, whatever is not yours, let go of it. The letting go of it will be for your long-term happiness and benefit. And what is not yours? You ready? No, he didn't say that. I'm saying that. Are you ready? You want to hear what's not yours? And, he, and I'm going to tell you what's not yours. But it's what it's a it's a famous Buddhist list called the five aggregates, right? The five aggregates. Five aggregates. What's not yours is form. Form means body. What's not yours is body. What's not yours is feeling. What's not yours is perception. What not you, what's not yours is mental processes. What, what's not yours is consciousness. Let go of it. Your letting go of it will be for your long-term happiness and benefit. And what that means is, oh, you don't stop being conscious or having feelings or, or having a body and taking a shower and sleeping and going to the bathroom, but don't hold on to it and pretend it's you. It's something that we are related to. It may be a better way to say it. That a body's here, feelings are here, mental processes are here, but that you don't own them. And that's the paradox. That's where we, uh, we're, not, we're not trained in the way the Buddha's training us. And, and the training the training that we have is to think, oh yeah, these are my thoughts, these are my feelings, this is my body, this is... And we're, we are responsible for the body and for the feelings and the thoughts, but See if you can control any of it, really. Because I don't believe we can. Can anybody control their feelings? Like, okay, I don't want to have any sad feelings for the rest of my life, and you're done with it. Can anybody do that? 
please raise your hand if you could. I would like to meet with you and I'm happy to learn from you because right or, or we can't control like never get angry again I'm never going to get angry again many Buddhists say this to themselves and then they get angry and they don't tell anybody <laughs> but, but, but really and what I'm saying is the feelings are doing themselves they're not ours we don't own them we're not in control of them and the thoughts have you ever noticed that thoughts come even when you don't want thoughts to happen one of the great things on a silent meditation retreat, which the retreat is, right? It's like you sit down and you think, okay, enough. I don't have to think about anything. And the mind just goes. And we're not in control of it. It's doing itself. And one of the things, but we can be aware of it. And what's aware of it is not... What were, here's a good Eugene Cash quote. This is my best quote. I've said it before, but I'll say it again. Awareness is not bound to what it's aware of. Awareness is not bound to what it's aware of. We can be aware of thoughts. The awareness is not identified with the thoughts. We get identified with the thoughts. The awareness is just aware of whatever it's aware of, thoughts, Sounds, smells, tastes, touch, sensations, feelings, all of anything that's known, there's awareness. But the awareness is where where is the awareness? Nobody has been able to tell me where the awareness is yet. And of course if you want to uh, uh, educate me, I would appreciate it because I can't find it at all, even though I'm very, I know how to be very aware, but I'm not the awareness. Actually, maybe I should be careful here, because maybe essentially I am the awareness, but it's not, a, it's not the ego identity that's the awareness, that's the difference. <clears throat> and so the, the letting go has a powerful impact on our body, heart, mind, and especially our heart. This is from Henry Miller, who was a writer in the last century. He wrote, what did Henry Miller wrote? Tropic, Tropic, of, Tropic, of, Tropic of Cancer, Tropic of Capricorn, Nexus, Nexus, Sexus, and Lexus. Flexus, something like He wrote a bunch of books. At the time, they were very, um, uh, what's the word? Controversial. Yeah, because there was a lot of sex in them at that time. But Henry Miller was a, a young man from New York who who kind of left the world and went to Europe and had what he would say was a lot of fun. And uh, he said, I know what the greatest cure is. I know what the greatest cure is. It is to give up, to relinquish, to surrender. These are all metaphors for let go. I know what the greatest cure is to give up, to relinquish, to surrender, so that our little heart may be in unison with the great heart of the world. It's a beautiful Buddhist teaching from Henry Miller. Hmm. Here. I'll read this. 
This is from Ajahn Sumedho. And Sumedho, here's a story about Sumedho that I, I knew but I forgot about. I remembered it. Sumedho, when Jack Cornfield went to Asia and, and wanted to study with Ajahn Chah, he said, Ajahn Chah said, go talk to Sumedho. And Sumedho was a Westerner who'd been studying with him and who was living in a teeny little hut way up on another hill a ways away from where Ajahn Chah was. And Jack Cornfield went and found Sumedho and he went up to his hut and he went in his hut and he said the thing that was most striking about Sumedho was he was sitting there in the hut and later Jack found out that the hut not only he had his hut, his little home, but also that there was a, a hive of bees that had made their home in that hut when Sumedho came in. And Sumedho, being a Buddhist, didn't do anything about it. And what happened was he just hung out with the bees and he got comfortable with the bees and relaxed with the bees and they got comfortable with him. So Jack walked into his hut and Sumedho was covered with bees because the bees weren't afraid of him and he wasn't afraid of them. So they were just hanging out, meditating together, the bees and Sumedho. And Jack said, that was impressive. That, that caught his attention. And, uh, and so, and he's been friends with Sumedho ever since, and I've met Sumedho, I've known him. He's, he, uh, he started uh, Amravati uh, in England when he came back to the West, because he was a Westerner. In, yeah, in the UK and also uh, uh, Amravati and I'm forgetting the name of the monastery in Northern California. Abhayagiriya, thank you. Abhayagiriya is also in the same tradition as uh, Sumedho. And Sumedho said this about letting go. So here is a very Buddhist teaching. He said the practice of letting go is very effective it's very effective for minds obsessed by compulsive thinking. You, simple, you simplify your meditation practice down to just two words. Let go. Let go. Rather than, did I lose the mic again? Yeah. I'm have, I have to let go of the mic. <laughs> Let go, let go. Rather than try to develop this meditation practice and that meditation practice to achieve this or go into that or understand this or read the sutras or understand the Abhidharma and then learn Pali and Sanskrit and then the Madhyamaka and the Prajnaparamita and get ordinations in the Theravada, the Mahayana, the Vajrayana. Instead of writing books and becoming a world-renowned authority on Buddhism, instead of becoming the world's expert on Buddhism and being invited to great international Buddhist conferences, just let go, let go, let go. He says, I did nothing for two years, I did nothing but this for two years. Every time I tried to understand or figure out things, I'd say, let go, let go, until the desire would fade out. 
So I'm making it very simple for you to save you from getting caught in incredible amounts of suffering. There's nothing more sourful, sour, sourful than having to attend international Buddhist conferences. Just let go. So it's, uh, it's part of the teaching that is so inherent and powerful to let go. And then to see what happens as we let go of our ideas, our beliefs, our opinions, and see what's here. What is it that has ideas, has beliefs, has opinions, right? What is the awareness itself or the consciousness itself that's aware? bit of magic here from Suzuki Roshi. He said, we are living in the world as one individual, but before you take the form of a human being, you are already there, always there. Now this is a very paradoxical teaching from Suzuki Roshi. He says, we are always here. Do you understand? You may think that when you die, you disappear, you no longer exist. But even when you vanish, something which is existent cannot be non-existent. This is the magic. We ourselves cannot put any magical spells on the world. The world is its own magic. And he's pointing at something very paradoxical, right? If something exists, it doesn't ever not exist. It may change form or shape or energy or whatever it is, but there's no, it's actually no nothing in the way we think about the word. There is, there are no things, right? Nothing is really a compilation of no thing. That's true, there's no thing. There, but, but there is not really nothing at all. There's always something that's changing. And the, the uh, maranasati, mindfulness of death, the word marana is sometimes talked about as it's, it's, of course, talking about the conventional idea of death, but it's also talking about how every moment arises and passes. Every moment comes to life and dies. And every moment is fresh and then ends in that way. And then it becomes a new moment. And so the becoming is part of what Suzuki Roshi is pointing at. This worked better on the talk uh, up at uh, the retreat because I'd already done a whole piece on another talk about becoming. Here, I'll, I'll end with a quote I've read before that I love from Kalu Rinpoche. He says, we live in illusion and the appearance of things. We live in illusion and the appearance of things. There is a reality. You are that reality. We live in illusion and the appearance of things. There is a reality. You are that reality. When you discover this, you will see that you are nothing, no thing. And being nothing, you are everything.
That is all. So there are a few thoughts from the teaching about aging, dying, awakening, and life, and Dharma. I always like to hear your thoughts, any ideas, questions, reactions, agreements, disagreements. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.